Hey there, all you cool cats and podcast listeners. I'm Patrick Baylor, and welcome to the Son of a Ginger review of Tiger King. In today's episode, Beth figured out the downfall of Joe Exotic. He just became obsessed with being famous, and with that came a disregard for the lives of the cats that he was caring for. Mason saw through Doc Antle's facade. He's like a doctor of mystical science, which, by the way, he looks like just the owner of like a chain of Renaissance fairs. Special guest Heather Baylor saw all of this coming after reading Into the Stars. I am very interested in Zodiac, and so I did some research and I found out all the key players' birthdays. Took me a long time. I had to go through some court records. And I appreciated seeing the classic Netflix cliffhanger at the end of all these episodes. But before we start, we have an exclusive live stream into the Fort Worth Federal Prison Talent Show. Content! Let's see what's happening. Gentlemen and prison goers, next up at the Fort Worth Prison System Talent Show, Joseph Maldonado Passage, aka Joe Exotic. Take it away. Things are a little different since I got in the pen, but ain't a thing changed about Carol Baskin. What's up there, all you cool cats and kittens? We are here once again for another episode of Son of a Ginger, talking about Tiger King. I'm your host, Mason Tiger King Moreau. I'm your other host, Beth Marcinko. I'm that other host, Patrick Baylor, and we're joined by another Baylor from the pack, from the Cub Pack, Heather Baylor. What's up, Heather? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Through, not even Zoom, through a FaceTime something or other, we're trying teleconferencing. And that's on social distancing. Pride in social distancing. <laughs> Never been prouder. But yeah, we had a wild time watching this wild docu-series that I think truly everyone binged in like probably less than 36 hours, I think on average. Probably not, but this is Netflix's, I think, most watched docu-series already. And it's only been out for two weeks as we record this. With how perfectly this show was released, it kind of seems like Netflix has this little vault of gold that they're just like, okay, when can we just conveniently and strategically drop this out and see how it does? Well, this was what recorded over five years, I think. Yeah, I think maybe five to seven years is what I gathered. 
Damn. But I think it was crazy to me. Like, they had so much archive footage, right? They had so much footage of Joe Exotic and all these other people because they have such big social media presences and have been so close to the entertainment industry. So they could draw from all of that. And then, I guess, kicking off the conversation, oddly enough, part of the story was that his, like, reality show producer lost all of his footage, yet they had, like, a whole bunch of the footage from his reality show. Yeah. Our man Rick Kirkman had those backups on hand. But there was a part where he said that he had nothing backed up so what was interesting is i think most of what they showed was not even the juicy stuff which is even more interesting oh what do you think boiled alive in that fire other than good old footage crocodiles oh no the alligator exhibit i also read an article that his home in dallas texas burnt down shortly after he came back so any speculation if he caused it, I don't think anyone is that sadistic to burn down all their work and then their house. You know what I mean? He attracts fire like a pie attracts flies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tracks fire quicker than a doused in oil grandma. And speaking of rednecks, the internet now has a new favorite redneck in Joe Exotic, the Tiger King himself. Uh, I guess we'll kick off the show with just talking about the man, not a myth, but the legend. Truly a legend. I think this will be every Halloween costume come this October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so much leather. There's going to be so much leather everywhere. Oh, dear. <laughs> like his background was that he truly was like, I think, a conservationist, you know, wanted big cats to get the right treatment and then TV and I don't know, all of his character just kind of caught up with him and then he became this menace to society. I mean, he just became obsessed with being famous. I think that was the real downfall of Joe Exotic. And with that came a disregard for like the lives of the cats that he was caring for. I don't know if he might have done as much breeding if he hadn't gotten as much like press and coverage and notoriety on the internet. And it's really sad because he admitted to killing cats once they were like past the age that they were useful to him. Like they found a couple on his property that were shot. Yeah, I know he said he euthanized them. I think that was the bigger problem with Doc Antle. Oh, right. Well, that's alleged, too. They haven't proved it. Yeah, so that's still an open investigation with his uh, euthanasia of cubs or whatever. But you know, Joe Exotic, he, like, barely tried to hide it. He carried a gun around everywhere and wasn't afraid to, like, shoot it or whatever. It made total sense in the context of his persona that he'd be taking cats that were extra and shooting them in the woods. I feel like he is pretty transparent. Like I'm more skeptical of Doc Antle than I am of Joe because he said that he euthanized the five and there he's like, there's two ways to do it. You either, you know, you dart them or you shoot them. And I mean, obviously like it's way cheaper to just shoot a tiger than to get the medicine to euthanize them properly. But yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot and I think Joe is actually pure at heart. But like you said, Beth, I think he has two main faults and then it's a tension. And then I think he's also greedy. And I don't think he realized how much money he could make. And then he realized it. And then it was just downhill from there. But he is not nearly as smart as Doc Antle, who lacks the purity that I think Joe does, but has the same amount of greed and wants attention just for everything that he has. We'll definitely circle back to Doc Antle. But before we do that, I really want to talk about the like feud between Joe Exotic and Carol, because that made up so much of the narrative of the show. And it was just insanity. It was a fantastic true rivalry. So Carol Baskin is his rival in Florida, in Tampa. She runs a 
actual like you know conservation site and like she always antagonized joe for what he did because you know he was one of the bigger game players with this stuff but then he was the one that just wanted to step up to that bitch carol as he frequently said it was clear that they were just had a rivalry right and they were doing the same thing but kind of went about it different ways and she went the very legal very proper route to do things that we know of that we know of but it was clearly just the fact that they hated each other because they were both trying to fill the same slot. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what she does, and especially it goes into it in the later episodes and they start talking about the logistics of Big Cat Rescue. When I first started the documentary, I was under the impression I was going to watch a documentary about this crazy redneck who tried to murder somebody and be totally on her side and then subsequently on all of Tiger's side as humanity, whatever. Then, as it went on, it became clear that... This was one of the most complex documentaries I've ever watched because there's so many things that were intertwined. And then you think that Carol's going to be the hero and she also is a villain of sorts and not even talking about the murder stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But just in theory, what she does, having all these cats in cages goes against what she stands for. And even though she works directly with PETA, it's very confusing because she's taking these tigers and the main difference is she's not breeding them and then she's not using them for shows, but she's keeping them in small cages and getting profit off of people visiting them, etc. Like there's not much of a difference at all. No. No. Very hypocritical of Miss Baskin. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that the filmmaking of the documentary does really well of conveying is like it's starts out with Doc Antle's crazy like harem of concubine performers essentially right that that he just brainwashes into being his like employees right and then it goes on to how Joe has it in a very similar way, just a very redneck way. And then they juxtapose those two things against Carol Baskin's like karate belt inspired <laughs> upgrade volunteer program that is so seriously the same thing as what Doc Antle and Joe Exotic are doing but in a very like structured and sanitized way. Yeah, they're all just big cat cult leaders. Right. I remember doing a gig sometime last year where uh, we essentially filmed like this award show for a major multi-level marketing firm. And they do the same thing as Carol does with all of her karate belt volunteers. Like, oh yeah, with two years, yeah, you get to actually feed the animals. That's so special of me. I can't wait. I think I just really loved that episode. I think it was episode two, The Cult of Personality or something like that. I think that was the most well done episode. And I think the best like hooking episode of all of them. Because like, oh, Every player here is terribly flawed and no one's a good person. Okay, so we're getting really in the weeds here. We need to get back to Joe Exotic and his redneck harem. So (laughs) he recruits people from the bus station where they have nowhere to go. He pays them $100 a week and all these people live in like rat infested trailers. They're in bus stations? I didn't know that. People would call Joe and say, this person has been at the bus station for a day, hasn't left doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Do you want to go see if they want a job or something? I could very much see that with Eric, the head keeper, because he Mm. just looks like a general drifter anyway. I mean, and like, I'm sure that they're all like really hardworking people. Otherwise, I don't think they would like stick around. And a lot of them seemed really like thankful to Joe. But damn, that shit seems crazy to be around 24-7. Like, and you work with those cats every single day. And, like, you could be mauled, which is terrifying. Which happened. 
Yeah. Also, yeah. Right. Saf. Saf's arm, like evidence right in front of us. And they just went back to their job because they didn't want the media to win. Yeah, I thought that part was really interesting because Saf even mentioned that he did not want to stay in the hospital because he didn't want like them to win. That's what he kept saying. And like he was like back in working on the zoo in like three or four days from getting his arm amputated, which is I mean, that's a huge surgery and and that's incredibly traumatic. But yeah, I definitely think across all the different players is specifically with Joe that we're talking about. Everyone felt like they had nowhere else to go, which gave them this cult like allegiance to the zookeepers and kind of to the industry at large. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that like not only was he keeping people there with that sort of allegiance, but like he wasn't paying them a real living wage. Like they weren't able to like go out and buy food. They would like take meat from the meat truck from Walmart. Expired meat. I loved how like Eric like described how they got the food. And it's like, oh yeah, it's not bad. You know, it's, it's just returned from the checkout line. It's all these people who have an extremely low standard, right? And that's like the sad thing is that like Joe has so many cats. That's like, it's so unmanageable and unsustainable. Like he can't feed them. He can't pay his people a living wage and they can't go out and like buy their own food from Walmart or wherever is available in the area. And that's just so sad. And then Joe is spending so much time pursuing this lawsuit with Carol when he should be just reinvesting that money in his business. He's just so obsessed. I think that's the best word to describe Joe in general, just obsessed with whatever he's into. Yeah, I think it was crazy. It was just the power that breeding exotic animals like brings a person just leads to them becoming drunk with power in many ways. And you see it with Doc Antle and you see it with Joe and it's sort of hidden with Carol. Like back to what we were saying about Joe being a little less intelligent than Doc Antle, I think that like he maybe wasn't even conscious of why he was making decisions. It was more just like he knew what he wanted and he knew that like at the end of the day, the tigers were what were going to bring people back and were going to be what was going to like get people addicted to this sort of like sense of power and domination over this. But yeah, that clouded the judgment of like, oh man, I think I might be getting investigated or I think uh, this producer is gonna screw me. Let's burn everything up. Oh, I think this lady is going to also sue me. Well, let's just try to kill her. You know, like he's a very id driven guy. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that there was like a flavor of feeling untouchable because if you're, you know, with these beasts every day that can kill you and they don't, it's like what can stop you kind of thing. Like not the law, not anything. And yeah, I mean, you look back on a lot of the different interviews that Joe Exotic did where he's on his reality show and he incriminated himself in the end with um, different things that he said about Carol Baskin. But in the moment, not one of the people in his life thought there was anything wrong with saying that because I don't think any of them believed anything could have touched them. And a lot of it was just probably the people around him going, oh, that's just Joe Exotic. Like, yeah, he shot a blow up doll with Carol Baskin's face on it with his gun or whatever. He he stuck a dildo down its throat or whatever. Just Joe being Joe. It's so horrifying. It reminded me of like terrorist videos. Yeah. It was the same type of like potato quality webcam bullshit <laughs> with bad green screen in the back. But it was happening right here in... Oklahoma. Right here in Oklahoma, where we also record our podcast. Yeah, it was just interesting because you definitely can see kind of how Joe thinks 
throughout the whole documentary and that his main issue is he gets fixated on different things at a time. And for some reason, he was just mostly fixated on Carol, which we know there's probably way more people trying to take him down, but it was just Carol that he was so focused on, which ultimately became his demise. Yeah. Now let's talk Carol because she's just a hoot and a half of a character as well, because I mean, goodness, like it sounds like on paper, she's a great lady you know she's doing the lord's work she's doing the lord's work yeah but then i think by episode four it just turns around netflix doing what netflix does and then you know throwing the best like cliffhanger at the end of episode three and be like oh yeah she probably killed her husband by the way wait what let me hit next episode please i have it on good authority that she fed her husband to a tiger yeah (laughs) and then we just go down that whole path her character development was insane because you really thought that it was going to be her that you were rooting for, even though she was kind of a kooky bird. But like, yeah, in the end, I think that she literally did this documentary thinking that everyone was going to be on her side. And then granted, I'm probably sure that Joe Exotic toyed with the idea of hiring a hitman to kill her. But so he's not, I don't think in the clear completely, but nonetheless, like she's not either. And I actually saw an article that they reopened the disappearance case of her husband um, this past week, which is really interesting. Yep. One of the detectives or whatever, I guess, was watching Netflix during his quarantine and was like, hey, should I look into that? I will say I was very confused and had to do some Googling mid watch because I thought that it was her husband that was sitting with her, Howard Baskin, in all the interviews that was murdered. And this was just all like filmed in the begin- like before. And so that's why I was, I was like, oh my gosh, we're about to, this is his last moments and he's on this documentary. But then I realized <laughs> it was Don Lewis. But what's confusing is they both look the same and they both have a lot of similar qualities because they are both self-made millionaires who live in Florida. And also, how is Carol Baskin pulling millionaires? I am very confused. I am very single and she's pulling two millionaires. We have Joe Exotic pulling two guys who are arguably not into men as well. That is what I cannot understand out of this documentary in full. I'm telling you, it's the tigers. It's the draw of the tigers. I mean, it is the eye of the tiger, but (laughs) also she has crazy eyes. And I think that they just hypnotize people. But I also don't think that Howard needed a lot of hypnotizing because like this fucking dope, like look (laughs) at his face. I'm sorry. Like he seems like a perfectly nice man Mm -hmm. who is probably very business savvy and, you know, is willing to like do what he thinks is the right thing. But this woman is a nutbag. And I imagine that her second husband, who mysteriously disappeared and had it in his will, I imagine that he just got too unruly for her. He wasn't laying out the money and doing exactly what she wanted. And she was like... I'll kill him with a cat. You bring up a good point. Like the narrative that they sort of paint in the background in this show is that she fell in love with this millionaire guy and he like fell head over heels for her because she was the pretty young blonde that he always wanted or whatever. And she was able to control him via that. Then he got wise and all of a sudden he's gone. And she's got all of his money. It kind of communicates that she got fed up with not being able to control him like she wanted to. Not like the Tigers. Right. And then with her new husband, he seems so like rife for manipulation. So easy to just kind of get him to do whatever she wants. Is he what the internet calls a a simp? He is. He's what the internet calls a simp. It makes sense why the case was reopened, because even if you're looking at everything objectively, they explained 
factually things he said, things he did, him being Don Lewis, and then he disappears. And it's like, where else would he have gone? And then the piece where he tried to file a restraining order against her, and then a couple days before he disappeared, his will was updated to upon my disappearance instead of upon my death, which is not a usual sentiment on a will. Yeah, and then just like messy mistakes, like if you're trying to disappear, leaving your car at the airport, and I don't know, it's just like a very obvious case. And then when she was explaining the science behind oh I couldn't have fed him to the time it's like you could tell that she already thought that through like the question so what I think it's like she definitely fed him to the tigers with sardine oil as she mentioned in later episode and then she probably cremated the bones or whatever because she probably has some sort of crematorium because at the end of the day she said that her sanctuary the purpose of it is to have the tigers there a safe place until they die so what happens when they die what does she do with them she doesn't bury them all she's gotta burn them. But it is funny though, I did a little bit of fact checking on my own because Joe Exotic in the show makes a little bit of a point about Tiger's stomach acid being very strong and it being able to dissolve bone. 100% true. I looked it up. I don't know if it's like fully and I don't know if you could probably do some digging through tiger feces and find DNA or something like that. Sounds like a good weekend plan. Let's do it, Mason. Uh. (laughs) Because if they're, what's their normal diet? Like they were eating calves yeah they're carnivores and so like in the wild it would make sense that they wouldn't leave behind anything a grown human man is still smaller than a calf or equivalent in weight so damn yeah so so carol she is probably a mastermind in her whole right but guess what folks you too can be a mastermind by subscribing to son of a ginger wherever you get your podcast and if you're on apple Podcasts or stitcher don't forget to give us five stars and leave a review and don't forget to follow us on our instagram page at son of a ginger podcast where we have some of the best photoshops and memes this side of the mississippi now let's get back to the rest of these big cat masterminds like Doc Antle, third cult of personality. I want to talk about him a lot. <sighs> Me too. That ponytail just seems to, you know, really sway the ladies because he's got, as Mason said, a harem. Okay, so I recently, relatively recently, listened to the 30 for 30 on Bikram Yoga. I watched Wild Wild Country on Netflix and I have kind of been into a couple podcasts that explore like cult leaders. This guy is textbook cult leader. He is renaming people. He's separating them from their family. They're not getting paid a living wage either. Oh my God, his reaction when the interviewer tried to bring up the fact that he was basically a cult leader and his like snapping, you saw that turn like right away. That is a dead giveaway that he is just like one investigation away from some serious shit coming out. Yeah, and it seems so calculated. When he snapped like that, he knew that he was snapping to make the situation uncomfortable so that they'd gloss over it and move on. I think that's sort of the like basis of Doc Antle as a person is that he's like so low-key calculated and planned out with how he wants to do these things. Yeah, so it's interesting because I thought I recognized 
the layout of his whole sanctuary area, zoo, whatever you want to call it. And then I realized it's because I've seen his son that they briefly showed on TikTok quite a bit because he does the social media for Myrtle Beach Safari situation. And the way that it's painted in that kind of social media light, at least on TikTok, it looks like paradise. But I thought it was really interesting when they interviewed the woman who not necessarily escaped, but left, whatever you want to call it. And she was just being very candid about the fact that the social structure of what it would be like if she left and kind of the shame with that and how she was 17 or something when she went, which is borderline illegal. Also, did you see the picture of Doc Antle behind Britney Spears, the VMA? Did you see that? Yeah, that's the weird thing. Like Doc Antle has been in the like animal wrangler game in Hollywood for yeah, like I think almost 25 years, like from VMA's performance for Britney Spears to Ace Ventura. Meanwhile, he just like feels like he needs to have a, like, a calendar shoots worth of models of wives for him or something like that. Maybe not models, but you know what I mean? Oh, it's so creepy. Like he, he's just a weird dude. I think the scene where he's coming in on the elephant is like borderline, very symbolic. It's just kind of like the same thing we were talking about. It's just hungry for power, drunk with power, and he's riding on an elephant in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and thinks he's just like God's creation. And what does he go by? What was it? Bhagavan or yeah. Which means Lord. Oh, and then he tries to cover it up and it's like, friend of God. And it's like, okay, you are definitely trying to downplay all of this shit. You know what? Give me a second. I want to find out what his real, real name is because it sure as hell is not that. Well, so there are a couple things that give you like a peek into the bullshit that Doc Antle is like spewing, right? One of them being that he's like a doctor of mystical science or something like that. Yeah, from China. Some like renaissance fair shit that he just picked up, which by the way, he looks like just the owner of like a chain of renaissance fairs. He has like one or two medieval times in his empire. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He owns a couple uh, medieval times franchises. But yeah, what were some other things that they sort of just like point at that show the cracks in Doc Antle's like very solid seeming foundation? Like there's this whole idea that he was just validated by the entertainment industry. That's a huge thing. And it kind of makes me really happy that CGI is coming so far so that we can use less animals in general for like their own health, but also so that you're not then contributing to something that could be nefarious like this and not even know it. I bet after he saw like The Lion King, like the new remakes from Disney, he just went, ah, shit, there goes my movie business. You can see that he's very smart in the way he does not incriminate himself. He didn't say anything incriminating on the documentary and interview since then. He's even very upset with how the documentary turned out because he thinks he was portrayed incorrectly. But nonetheless, he is somehow getting more and more tigers and technically buying and trading tigers in the U.S. is illegal, but so is breeding. But there's the loophole that he found. And then, yeah, to his point, what did he say is $10,000 a day to feed a tiger? But how is he breeding them? And then where do they all go? So he's either selling them or cremating them when they age out of the playtime thing that we're seeing on the show. Yes, all creepy stuff from Kevin Antle, his actual name, not Doc or Bhagavan, but uh, I think I smell a sequel, but we'll get to that shortly because first I want to talk about the overall crime of this involved with Jeff Lowe and how this documentary ended. First off, Jeff, I think, is 
monster energy in a motorcycle if that was a person? I'd say he's monster trucks as a person. I was so confused when Jeff came into the picture. I thought I like missed an episode because it just happened so fast. He just kind of showed up. He did. And he is like a textbook con man. But similarly to Doc Antle, he is very smart to not incriminate himself. He has a lot of things that he's figured out that are loopholes. And I think that the person who will probably get charged with the biggest, uh, I don't know, crime, whatever they call is Jeff Lowe. Not, he obviously hasn't been yet, but eventually he will because he's like clearly one of the biggest villains of them all throughout the entire documentary. He's just such a disgusting scumbag. The whole thing about going to Vegas, renting out a giant house or like just being in a hotel and being like, hey, ladies, come up and sleep with us and you can play with a tiger that we're carrying in our suitcase. Like, what the fuck is that? You are clearly harming these creatures. And that's one of the things that really upset me. Jeff is literally just using them to like pick up women. I mean, it's fine if you want to swing, but like don't use these animals to do it. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of Jeff's character really points out and I, I talk like it's like it's a scripted thing. It points out sort of the storytelling tricks that they kind of pull because all of the episodes up until Jeff's introduction, Jeff was like a part of the events. Like he had to have been a part of some of these events that they had talked about, but they just chose not to mention him until later in the season for sort of dramatic effect, which I felt was a little lopsided. But at the same time, it gives you this like new villain character to be like, okay, well, I kind of want to see Joe Exotic win a little bit now because this guy's being an asshole. It kind of like brings you back around after they slap you with showing you that Joe like mistreats all these people. Like at least he seems to have some semblance of love and not necessarily respect, but admiration for the tigers that he breeds. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like it's weird because he almost had no impact in the documentary and then he had a huge impact in the documentary. Like, I still feel very conflicted about him. But one thing that's interesting is Jeff and Carol, like, never interact. They don't really care about each other or talk about each other. I mean, they do briefly, but the scope of their interactions in comparison to the others for the same field are so minuscule that it's just kind of like confusing. I think that one of the reasons why that is, is because Jeff tries to keep his head down. And because he's such a skilled con man, he knows that Joe is going to be the face and that he is going to be public and therefore easy for him to manipulate, but not easy for him to then hide as well as he was. So we got to talk about the thing that got Joe Exotic in jail that Jeff kind of started, which is the murder plot for Carol Baskin. So I think that is like, I guess the closest interaction that they had is this, you know, locker room talk, so to speak, of just the fellas, you know, hanging out and saying, yeah, maybe we should just kill the bitch. To call back to like what I was saying, he's the ideal villain. What does the ideal villain always have? a henchman that it will do what they want whenever they want, right? So that's very much this guy, Alan, was just this guy who would just kind of do anything for a buck and kind of traveled around with Jeff doing odd jobs and finally set up shop at this tiger camp. Truly a goon. Yeah, and he's the only one with a teardrop tattoo, so they're like, oh, he'll just kill her. He's just completely 
the poster child for a villain's henchman. So I've been thinking about this a lot. At first, I was like, okay, Joe probably deserves to be in jail because I think he was a part of the plot. But I've been thinking about it more, and here's my new conclusion. So they have that specific part where Alan Glover is talking about how much he hates Joe. And Joe would try to boss him around. He'd be like, I don't work for you. I work for Jeff. I think that Jeff was really fed up with... Joe for a variety of reasons. And what's Joe's Achilles heel? What's his trigger? Carol Baskin. And I think it was just a really easy plot because I think that Joe believed that Alan would actually kill Carol. But I don't think that it's Jeff's brand or Joe's brand to actually murder somebody. But I think what kind of set Joe up ultimately is that he joked about it for so long and then he was caught on tape saying that he was going to do it because I think Jeff kind of planted the idea in his head. Jeff gave him the idea about the bike trail, showed him on Google Maps. Alan was the perfect guy to do it. So no one had to get their hands dirty. And I just think that it was a perfect storm to set up Joe and then they got the other was it like 19 counts with the different tiger stuff but ultimately I don't think that this idea to truly kill Carol was actually Joe's idea or was for real because I just think if Joe wanted to kill Carol he would have done it a long time ago like why at that point although I think that Joe might have just been looking for an opportunity for someone to do it for him for like a reasonable price. It's such a fucked up thing to say about someone's life. But I think that that's kind of where he was because he didn't have any money. He thought that Jeff supported him and thought that Jeff was like partially authorizing this deal, which I think is like kind of part of the master plot behind this, maybe. And that Alan was so loyal to Jeff that if he felt like Jeff was on his side, then Alan would be on his side and follow through with it. And I think that he was just dumb enough to believe all of that. Yeah, I think the plot to murder her shifted from it being this rivalry-based theatrics thing to then being, oh, well, I guess killing her is like the only way I can get all of these problems that are going to ruin my life to go away. Yeah, so like even once Alan bows out and decides to go just party down in Florida, as one does, yeah, he gets this, what, secret FBI agent on it, and then that's how he gets made. Oh my gosh, we haven't even talked about James Garretson. <laughs> right, this guy. Oh. He's such a lump. He's such a lump. But I think that honestly, every single person in this documentary, without a doubt, even Rick Kirkham, who I like, is somewhat malicious and has a bad side to them. But I think that James Garretson is arguably one of the best people in it. And granted, he did some illegal stuff. I actually read a whole court order about the different things he did with Alilu with animals today. Did he steal the Hummer? No, that wasn't what I read. Well, except for Joshua Dial, um, the campaign manager who was just wronged the whole time. I feel so bad for him. Some really, really terrible shit happened to him. And this was a stain on the Libertarian Party of Oklahoma? <laughs> I found his Facebook today, actually. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, um, well, he's now a Democrat. He's not a Libertarian anymore. Oh. But he has a fundraiser right now for therapy because he has post-traumatic stress from seeing Travis kill himself. Oh, shit. I forgot he saw that. I know. That camera, when it showed that, that was crazy. That was insane. I, I feel like that was one of the most dramatic and like gut-wrenching moments of the series as a whole was just finding out that Travis was so depressed 
and psychotic from being holed up at this camp and not having his own agency to do what he wants. That really added a whole bunch of gravity to the situation because everything seemed so larger than life. Yeah, and everything seemed so silly. And then it was like, oh, all of this is actually hurting some people. And Travis was definitely one of them. And that just goes back to Joe essentially being one of the cult leaders. You wanted to sort of like him at the beginning because he's like wild and crazy and like sort of has this likable streak. But when he gets into like the death wishes for Carol and then you see him entrapping these men with whatever means, you know, they talked about meth. They talked about, you know, how Travis was always smoking pot and like who knows like what all drugs they were on all the time. And it's just so tragically sad. These people didn't feel like they could leave, didn't know where to go. And it's especially sad in Travis's case, not only because his life ended, but Because you see his mom and you see that he had a family that he probably could have gone back to. And it's just heartbreaking. When they introduce him, he seems like this normal San Diego surfer kid who for some reason is transplanted to Oklahoma. I don't know why he ended up there. At 19. At 19. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's giving me all these nice things. Oh, I'm relying on him for food and shelter. And drugs. Then it's, oh, I'm relying on him for food, shelter, drugs, and everything else in my life. Oh, I don't know how to live my life without this person. And all of a sudden, you're like a a sex slave. I just felt like this, especially Travis, seeing the circumstances around which he was living, that was really the big turning point for me not being on Joe's side anymore. The death threats, terrible, yes. But he was really holding all of these circumstances over everyone around him's head. That was really when I was like, this guy needs to stop. He became more than an internet meme and became a bit of a villain. Uh, Yeah, more than a bit, definitely. A whole villain. Yeah, I think the theme throughout the entire documentary is just power and vulnerability and who has power and who is vulnerable. And it shifts from each of the zookeepers to the people that they almost enslaved, if you want to use that term. And then the tigers who are these beasts, they're so vulnerable and are being underfed, treated terribly, and honestly just used for monetary gain. It's almost like a psychological case study the entire time because you're just seeing how people ultimately changed by power and how it changes the people around them who are weaker than them or animals. Yeah, it's a food chain. But the difference being that none of it is derived from instinct or survival of the fittest. It's all situational. And it's these people who are realizing they have a place of power and abusing it to get people to follow them. And then they're getting abused by people who are more powerful for whatever reason. And there's this whole chain of command based on who has exploitable weaknesses. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy to watch. This whole thing was crazy to watch. Um, Before we go, I want to play a couple of quick games. Heather, I know you did some researching after this and uh, found out personality traits of all these characters that made the writing on the wall a little bit easier. Yes. So I am very interested in Zodiacs. I've always been. As a science major, I firmly, whatever religion you may be, I just believe that if the moon and where the sun is and where the earth is can affect the tides, then I think it can affect you when you're born. So I do believe in zodiacs to a degree. And so I did some research and I found out all the main key players birthdays. Took me a long time. I had to go through some court records. So I guess maybe I'll do least exciting to most exciting people. 
Okay, so James Gerritsen guessed the Zodiac. Man, I'm bad. Yeah, disclaimer, none of us really know anything about the Zodiac other than Heather. Hey, speak for yourself. Oh, okay. Uh, I know my shit. Aries. I'll go Virgo. I'm going to say he's a Libra. No. No, a a Leo. I'm a Leo. No, he's a cancer. So he's very empathetic, intuitive, moody, generally discouraged, but kind hearted overall. Okay. All right. Who's next? Jeff Lowe. Aries. <laughs> oh, uh, Taurus. Oh, actually, I bet he's a Scorpio. No, he's a Taurus. Boom. I got one. Stubborn. He's emotional, but kind of stable. Oh, this one's honestly makes the most sense in my opinion. Well, there's a lot that makes sense. It just gets better. Eric Good, the director. Virgo. He's a Capricorn. They're the intelligent ones. They're patient. They are on the ball. Planners. Okay, this one was the hardest one to find, so please give me the respect. John Finley. John Finley, the first husband? Second husband, technically, Technically right? says, uh, yeah, second. How did you find that? A court record. It was very hard. I will say uh, Taurus for this one. Taurus, yeah. Steady, stable, goes with the flow a little bit. Another one, you'll start to see a trend here, which is kind of interesting. Howard Baskin. Not Carol, but Howard, her husband. Howard Baskin. Okay, he's he's like... Is it Taurus? Taurus. Wow. Son of a bitch. Everyone's going with the flow. Loyalty, patience, prefers simplicity, stable. Okay, now we got Doc Antle. I think Aries for him. I think he's an Aquarius. Pisces. He's flirtatious, charming, romantic. His weakness is the desire to escape reality. Ooh. Okay. Carol Baskin. Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. No, but this one honestly makes the most sense. She's a Gemini. Oh. oh Other famous Geminis are Kanye West and Donald Trump. And me. I'm famous. No hate, no shame, but they're smart and ruthless. They can sometimes be know-it-alls and erratic, and they can also be flaky, childish, and silly. And last but not least, our king, Joe Exotic. Sagittarius? Gemini again? No, hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, Mason wants to guess. opposite Gemini. That's what I'm going to pick. Heather's nodding. Sagittarius, yeah. Oddly enough, it's the same as... Doc Antle, also a Pisces, which is crazy. And yeah, so he's creative, overly emotional, romantic, quirky, imaginative, and pleasure-seeking. He is. He's definitely pleasure-seeking. So much pleasure. Well, Heather, it was a pleasure playing this game. (laughs) Um, Before we go-go, I just want to sniff one last thing. So we talked Doc Antle. I think I smell a sequel that isn't the limited series that's coming out with Kate McKinnon, because that's already happening. But Wait, what? Yes, if y'all didn't hear about that, there's going to be, I don't know if it's a miniseries or straight up TV series where Kate McKinnon plays Carol Baskin. Mm. And I'll let everyone else go to the internet to cast that because that has been every other BuzzFeed article I've seen recently. But what do y'all think season two will be about for Tiger King? I think they got to do more because there's so much with Doc Antle or Jeff Lowe or Carol. That's three more seasons right there, I think. It would be a spinoff. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I agree with that. And plus, now that Joe is working with PETA, who knows what else is going to happen? That was another moment where Netflix knows what they want to do. It's like, oh, well, shit, give me season two of this. Give me more damn content right now, Netflix. Yeah, I feel like branding wise, they would be incentivized to make it Tiger King season two. 
but they'll change the key art to have it be like Doc Antle's face or something because he has a huge federal investigation going on right now about himself that they could make a whole season about. That would probably just be a cookie cutter courtroom docuseries that we've seen so much of now in the true crime documentary genre. I don't feel like it would capture the same energy, but the cynic in me just believes that they'll put it out for the sake of having more of their this like breakthrough IP. Maybe Doc Antle's can be called Friend of God. Friend of Tigers, Enemy of Man. Tiger King 2, Bhagavan. <laughs> that sounds good to me. So, Tiger Kings and Queens, it was a joy. We're running out of tiger time. Before we go, give Heather Baylor a follow at Homemade by Heather B on Instagram. She makes some tasty foods. That's your TikTok as well, right? Yes, I just started a TikTok and I don't want to alarm you guys, but I did get a little TikTok famous, but I'm not letting it go to my head. Well, that's where you can find Heather, but you can find us at Son of a Ginger Podcast on Instagram and you can give us a follow and a couple likes. And then you can also write us a review and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Five stars time with five-star Tiger Kings and Queens. We've had a lot of fun talking Tiger King today, but it's time to go. So with that, I've been your co-host, Mason Tiger King Moreau. I've been Beth Cool Cat Marcinko. I've been Patrick Baylor. I'm Heather Baylor. Here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty, rawr. Yeah.